Welcome to Integrative Lawyers of the World, where we believe lawyers contribute to the healing of the world by practicing law in a way that honors our interconnectedness and that values generosity, authenticity, and integrity. Hi, I'm Carrie Raleigh, and our guest this episode is Isaac Degwa. When he was young, Isaac had a dream of becoming a big shot, powerful lawyer. However, at the age of 25, when he was young and naive, he was arrested and sentenced to serve 14 years in prison. He spent 4,075 days in prison. While there, and with the help of justice defenders, he earned his law degree from the University of London. He has gone on to help and work with prisoners with physical disabilities and mental disorders. He's currently a trainee with Justice Defenders and he has a personal mission to ensure that the defenseless get access to justice. I'm very excited to welcome Isaac to our show and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi Isaac, how are you? I'm well, Kerry. Thank you for joining us today. And you are joining us all the way from Kenya. Is that correct? Uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Sunny well, day. I am recording this from Aurora, Ohio, which is in the Midwest of the United States. And just to let you know, last Saturday we had snow and today it's still a gray day. But, so it's nice to hear oh. that there's sunshine in your world. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite a... Big difference. So as I was reading your story and as I shared it in our introduction, you have one amazing journey. And I just thought we can walk through it. Maybe no better place to start from the beginning. Um, You said when you were young, you had dreams of becoming a lawyer. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yes. uh, uh, Thank you, Carrie, again. uh, my dream of becoming a lawyer started when I was very young. I remember uh, I was inspired uh, by the fact that, you know, lawyers have a name in the society. And whenever, uh, you know, a teacher poses a question in class, what do you want to become? I'd love to become a lawyer. So it, it started back then, started back then, and through my journey as a young person, I got the passion and I got, uh, uh, you know, the need to to become uh, this big person in the society. <laughs> it's it's a dream. We all dream when we are young, right? Uh, it went along very well. And um, as I progressed through school, I did even the courses that I did or modules that I did in school were directed at becoming this lawyer. And, uh, well, the dream was coming true until a point when, uh, <laughs> when, uh, when, when the would-be lawyer <laughs> went into prison. Eh? <laughs> and uh, my journey then uh, of becoming a lawyer at that point stalled. You certainly saw another part of the legal system, but from uh, within a prison from within the outside. Later on, I'd like to talk about how that experience probably influences your work as a lawyer now. But before we get to that, um, can you talk a little bit about 
what happened? You said you were 25 and young and naive when you were arrested. Yes, uh, I, I was young and I was at a point in life when uh, uh, when you feel it's, you, it's like you become man. You don't want to listen to anyone. You don't want to listen to, you know, advice from family, from friends. And um, I got into bad company. I got into bad company and bad uh, habits, bad living habits, so to say. And uh, within that uh, period, um, I got involved with this company that was, uh, uh, you know, handling stolen motor vehicles and uh, stolen goods. And it's at that point that, uh, uh, and all, all I was doing all this, uh, just to make some extra coin, not to do something that would help me in life, but uh, you know, to feel like I'm living large and feeling like I'm living like this big person, but it was all a lie. And uh, you know, it, it's at that point that uh, I got arrested uh, and I was charged with a case of uh, handling a stolen motor vehicle. But as it was, the vehicle was uh, stolen so recently. So I was charged with the main charge and a capital offense of robbery with violence uh, that would have attracted death, a death sentence. Yeah, so, so that's how I, I got, yes. Were you involved with the robbery or no? I was not involved in the robbery. But you got charged with I did it not because... participate in, yes. I did not participate in the robbery, but I got the fruits of that robbery. <laughs> you know, Can... the fruits, I, by the fruits I mean, by the fruits I mean, yeah. uh, whatever was stolen from the robbery in the name of a vehicle, uh, I, was, uh, I was arrested while handling it. Wow. Yeah, and uh, just to be so clear, you know, I participated on that end. On the handling part, I participated. You know, it's, it's good also to take responsibility of uh, mm. actions, good or bad. What would the sentence have been if it was handling a stolen car that was not involved in a robbery? The charge that I was charged with yeah. uh, on robbery with violence. Yeah attracts a death sentence. Uh, the charge attracts a death sentence. However, along the trial, the judge evaluated the circumstances of the case. And uh, one of uh, his uh, grounds of not uh, sentencing me to death is that uh, at the point of arrest, I was not harmed. The victims, I was not armed, I'm sorry, I was not armed. The victims were not uh, injured, they were not harmed. And uh, he, he, he made a disclaimer that if maybe I would, there would have been, if maybe there would have been uh, some, uh, some weapon or some, uh, or the victims would have been uh, injured, at the point of 
my arrest, then I would have been sentenced to death. However, the court assessed the circumstances and sentenced me to a 14-year sentence, which is a maximum sentence of handling stolen goods. At some point before the judge makes that decision, you become aware this could be a death penalty. Before oh, yes. the judge made his decision, do you remember what you were thinking or feeling? Like, what was that like? There's, there's a way a judge will summarize his findings. And uh, somewhere in the middle, they'll give you an indication that this is not going good. <laughs> they'll give the facts, yeah. they'll give the facts of the case. And then somewhere, uh, uh, some, somewhere in the middle of that summary, they'll, they'll, they'll say, however, um, according to the circumstances of this case, uh, we have evidence that this points to you. Then whatever happened, the circumstances can point at you being involved in the whole uh, offense. So at that point is when you feel, uh, you know, you feel numb. It's like uh, you're not feeling anything. You can't think rationally because you know the consequences. You know, at the end of his summary, what he'll say. At that point, I was so fearful. I could not think straight. I could not, I could not imagine that my life is coming to an end because whatever was coming, I was staring at death. I was staring at a death sentence. And it's only by, I would say by luck, that at the end of that summary, the court considered the fact that maybe they even, he even considered that these guys were young when they committed this offense. And uh, he gave me a 14-year sentence. So on one hand, it was, it was, it was a bombshell. It was tough on me. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, I did not get a death sentence. So it was, there, there was some mixed feeling, although the mixed feeling definitely on the negative, on the negative. Yeah. yeah, staring at a death sentence is not something so easy. Now, you could have taken that sentence and become very bittered person, bitter and angry person, and maybe there were times where you were just that, but seeing how you are now, it seems like you at some point chose to reset your life or to not fall into, uh, the only expression I'm coming up with right now is like claws of bitterness. You know, sometimes when bitterness gets a hold of people, it just like hangs on to them and drags them down. You did not let that happen to you, and even in the toughest of situations. So, um, before I even share any more, I'm just so impressed with that already. So you're in prison, and you were sentenced yeah. for 14 years, and you had said that you actually spent—I saw it in your bio—of 4,075 days in prison. What was that experience like? When I talk about 4,000. 
75 days, yeah? uh, the experience varies from the most painful experience in life to an experience of uh, feeling, oh yes, it has turned around. So the 4,075 days range from one extreme to the the other end of, of, of uh, to the other extreme. Uh, by this, I mean uh, initially in the first uh, days and months when I was uh, sentenced to 14 years, uh, life was a bit difficult. At some point, I felt I lost hope completely, and um, almost gave up. I almost gave up, and. Uh, uh, I remember there were some friends and who kept on giving me the strength to go on. Mm -hmm. There was this one particular prison warden who always, uh, you know, tracked me where I was and uh, uh, he always uh, told me that I could become something. And uh, the prison yeah, at that warden point, I that. felt, uh, oh, yes. Yes, yes, he did. And uh, actually, he was uh, one of the people who introduced me to this program while I was in prison. And uh, he was also doing the same program. So you can imagine, uh, you know, the prison warden and yeah. the prisoner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in the same program. So he, he kept on giving me, uh, you know, the energy to move on the energy and uh, telling me yes it can it can come to pass no you have you, you're still young uh, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he 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 kept me out of uh, uh, losing hope actually uh, kept me out of uh, so many harms and i really appreciate him and the journey continued um i now joined uh, uh the, the University of London rejoined the University of London because I was initially doing the same program. I rejoined the University of London program and um, I started doing my degree. What did you start feeling? Oh, a sense of uh, life coming back again, mm. a turnaround. Yeah, because uh, at that point I was feeling so down. And you can imagine it was two years, a whole two years of, uh, you know, uh, of not having any direction. I just wake up. You don't know. You don't want to. You don't even care what will happen tomorrow mm. because I was seeing, you know, I was I was young and I meant to come out of prison when I'm 41. My youth is lost in prison. So I felt there was no point of living. But when I started now doing my degree, it gave me that turnaround, gave me that hope again. And, uh, you know, it, it, it showed me that one day things will come out yeah. uh, well. Yes. So how did it come about that you were introduced to the program? Can you just describe a little bit of what Justice Defenders is and then how it was introduced to you in prison? So uh, Justice Defenders uh, started initially as African Prisons Project. 
and uh, they started by training inmates and uh, wardens, prison wardens, on how to acquire legal skills. Uh, they trained us uh, and uh, enrolled us to do uh, degrees uh, with the University of London. And by training us, they gave an opportunity to the prison community, especially those who could not afford legal representation to access uh, some form of uh, you know, legal advice mm -hmm. and uh, uh, to be able to represent themselves in court. So basically how, that's how it started, by training us. And uh, through that training, uh, as, as, uh, as, as lawyers and uh, as uh, paralegals to be able now to impart those skills to the prison community, especially those who cannot afford legal representation, which is a majority of the, of, of the people who are in prison. Oh yes, uh, because uh, you find, you find um, the, the, the greatest number of the people who are in prison are people who cannot afford legal representation. Legal representation is expensive, is mm -hmm. expensive. And if you find someone cannot even afford uh, some cash bill mm. of around, uh, let's say, $10 or $20, then that person cannot be able to afford uh, an advocate who will represent them in court yeah. to around... Uh, you know, one thousand dollars. It would. It, it's not possible. So that's why. That's where uh, justice defenders comes in. Uh, come in and uh, you know train paralegals and uh, uh, lawyers to be able now to uh, help those who cannot afford yeah. uh, legal representations in prison. Something yes. is wrong when the justice system is a reflection of how much money you have as opposed to actual justice. Yeah, that's the reality uh, within the community that we live in. Yeah. It's the reality. Yeah, because uh, the number of advocates who are in the, uh, within the community uh, is very few. And uh, as paralegals, we come in to be able to mitigate uh, to be able to, make, to mitigate this uh, uh, deficiency of lawyers. And through uh, the skills that we gain, we are able now to uh, advise uh, uh, clients uh, or inmates in prisons to be able to do self-representation, mm -hmm. which is better than not having uh, any 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 any, any skill or any knowledge on how to be able to represent themselves. Can we go back to how you were introduced into the program? So you're in prison. How did you become aware of it? Was it through the, the warden? Yes, yes, yes. It was through the warden. And uh, a few of my friends who, uh, who, uh, who became my, uh, my, my co-students uh, while we were doing uh, the degree. Yes, but mainly the prison warden, and uh, uh, he, he, he encouraged me so much, yes. So did, 
does justice defenders then send um, instructors into the prison to teach you the law courses or how does it work? Yes, um, actually we started, uh, I started my degree back in 2014. Uh, and at that time, justice defenders invested heavily on, on us to make us lawyers. Uh, they, 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 they talked to the University of London. Uh, they were in partnership with the University of London. They, uh, who gave us uh, the course modules, uh, the reading materials uh, through Justice Defenders. Uh, they also got partners who supported us. And at that time, they also uh, provided us with tutors who took us through the modules okay. in a way to support us to be able to pass our exams. So you had course modules provided from the University of London. It was self-study, but with the help of tutors provided by justice defenders. Yes, it was uh, mainly self-study. Um, yeah, but uh, there were tutors who guided us and showed us the way on how to go you know, with the modules and how to uh, pass our exams properly, yes. Did you have like a set time where you would go to the prison library or a meeting room or somewhere where you could go and study with, with your fellow inmates so that you guys can talk about the materials together or to meet with the tutors together? There's, there's a unique uh, relationship yeah. between uh, prison and justice defenders yeah. and uh, their allies that are that that are unlikely to to to, to you are unlikely to see uh, in so many places in the world. It's not easy to find a prison administration uh, and uh, uh, the prison administration and 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 you know, and a whole university in London and an organization coming. Uh, together to be able to uh, to be able to support uh, this inmate to 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 do self representation yeah. and through this uh, th through this uh, conjunction or through this partnership uh, the prison was able to provide for us a place where we could do our studies uh, um, there's a school uh, there's an academy in the prison so they provided us a space where we could be able to do our lectures. Uh, there's a library. But the circumstances in prison are that you can only do your studies from uh, maybe during the day, so to say. You can only go to a library during the day from, uh, let's say, 8 to around uh, 4 in the evening. And okay. that is not sufficient time for you to do your studies. It's not sufficient time because you'll need to interact with your tutor. Uh, you need to, to, to maybe do your group assignments. And a huge part of the modules, you'll have to do self-study. Okay. And therefore, uh, uh, with the limited room, we were just uh, able to be creative and mm. to push and maybe have sleepless nights. Uh, I personally had sleepless nights eh? mm -hmm. trying to to read and to make sure that i covered the modules properly 
was there a, yes, it gives me purpose, but was there a pressure to it as well? The prison environment uh, is not an easy environment. And I'm doing these studies or I'm gaining my law degree while in prison. And the reason why I'm gaining this law degree is to be able to serve the defenseless. So I understand their pain. And in our community, we believe that some, some, some ills or some, some things can only be rectified uh, and can only be seen by the eyes that have cried because of the pain that we feel. And by this, I mean that when you go through a legal system and you find you cannot be able to represent yourself and the result of that becomes an injustice and that person finds themselves in prison, it's so painful. It's so painful because you find the reason the only reason why this person is in prison is because this person could not afford legal representation. And therefore, poverty then becomes, you know, the standard of, you know, money becomes the standard of determining whether this person will, uh, will go out of prison or not. And therefore, poverty will definitely push this person to, to prison. It will not, uh, you know, this person will not get, get a chance. And therefore, there's that pressure when you're doing a law degree in, that, in those circumstances. There's, there's a pressure, there's a high expectation from the people you're serving. Mm. Because um, a majority of them cannot be able to uh, read and write. And even if they can't be able to read and write, they cannot be able to identify maybe where their case lies. A criminal case will definitely be very uh, complicated. There are elements that you need to identify in such a in, in such a in such a case to be able to uh, to be able to, to to ask the right questions during cross examination. To be able to identify your issues issues that will lead you or issues that will make you yeah uh, justify yourself or will make you go free. But when you don't have that knowledge, when that person does not have that knowledge, then it becomes very difficult for them to represent themselves. And therefore, that pressure will always come because you don't want to let these people down. They have a very huge expectation on you. And I can tell you for a fact, we started, we started um, uh, you know, giving these people uh, these skills uh, as soon as we started our studies. And uh, it became a very interesting experience because we were learning on the job, you know, doing the theoretical work in the morning <laughs> and coming back in the evening to do the practice. Wow. <laughs> doing the pupillage uh, while, still, <laughs> while still doing your studies, yes. The necessity of it helps give you the confidence to do it. When I first graduated out of law school, you know, the first time I had my first clients, it was nerve wracking a little bit. I remember the first time I signed a complaint, you know, when a lawyer signs the complaint, you are signing to it, your responsibility. And I remember pausing the first time I signed it. It was like, 
Ooh, I can only imagine what you are having at that time where you're learning it and then you go out or in the evening and talking to your fellow prisoners about it and trying to pass on, which were effectively your fellow prisoners were your first clients. They were the first clients and uh, uh, clients who had a lot of expectations because yeah. uh, you feel like you're holding, you're holding their lives, their lives is on their hands. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Yes. I just, uh, the difference, so I've always done civil commercial matters. And in the, I remember once in the law firm, we were working like another, a lawyer and I, it, it was stressful in terms of law firm stresses, but the other, I think she was actually a partner at the time. We were getting stressed with long work hours, demands and client expectations. And she just quietly said, she's like, you know what? We're not criminal lawyers. At the end of the day, our cases involve money, not someone's life. Criminal lawyers, they're the ones with the real stress. And just, it just really shifted the responsibility and the stress for us to our sisters and brothers of the bar who do criminal law as opposed to commercial law like me. So we give our, we tip our hats off to you, <laughs> just so you know that. Um, <laughs> Thank uh, you. We are taking a brief break from this conversation to ask for your financial support. With each episode, we hope you can see how lawyers and peacemakers like you are contributing to the healing of the world. It takes many kinds of resources for the integrative law movement to keep going and affecting change. Your monetary donation can help us continue this important work by supporting the activities and the members of this community. Each contribution goes to promote the stability and accessibility of the movement and to support basic expenses like our Mighty Network Group, web hosting, social media and event management, and this Integrative Lawyers of the World podcast. Because we like to give people choices, we have ongoing monthly options to match your budget or you can make a one-time donation. Thanks to our non-profit corporate sponsor, the Renaissance Law Society, U.S. supporters are able to make tax-deductible donations. Supporters from other countries, please check your local tax laws. To help establish confidence in your choice to supporters, we have set up an open collective transparent plan to track how the community money is spent. For ways to support the integrative law movement and our world-changing work, go to our website at www.integrativelaw.com and click on support the movement tab at the top of the page. Another great way to support us is to rate us five stars and comment, like, follow or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. These ratings and interactions help us get seen and heard by even more people to make an even stronger impact. Thank you for your support and spending time with us today. Enjoy the rest of this conversation. You had mentioned that you had studied with the, the prison warden. He was part of the group. So were you actually studying and discussing cases with him or discussing case law with him? Yes, actually, that, that's, that's, that's our community. 
it's it's our community and uh, we have a community of uh, prison wardens we have a community of the inmates uh, working together to bring in this uh, change and uh, it's, it's it's such a unique uh, scenario when you find a prison warden and a prisoner in the same class you see there's some form of standardization at that point uh, uh, because the prison warden will uh, you know will not uh, will, will not will not will not look at you as an inmate at the time and you're not looking at him as a prison warden at the time your students and your students are you know trying to fight for 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 a very noble cause uh, trying to change how people think about uh, you know the prison community uh, trying to impact and to touch the lives of those who cannot afford that uh, legal community actually it's 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 a it's a unique uh, uh, it's a unique uh, program because uh, uh, we, we get skills yeah we get skills uh, with the inmates and uh, the prisoners and we get to coordinate with each other and uh, be able to serve the community with with us not being seen as inmates and them not being seen mm. as uh, prison wardens. Yes, that's huge. As people are listening to this, I'm hoping that it will take away people's bias or perceptions of what a prisoner is, and just how you did that. The idea that that warden being part of this too, by you sharing this story, it really helped open my eyes to that bias that I have. And that all sides of the justice system, from the prisoners as well as the the wardens and the officers who really are committed to justice for all. I didn't even realize I had that bias until you had shared the story about the warden because I was so shocked. I'm like, oh, the warden was part of this too? And you're using the word unique, but a very holistic approach that Justice Defenders is using to include the different, you know, you have a community within the prison and to be including the different parts of the community in their program. Very wise, very holistic at the same time. Yes, it, it's holistic and uh, uh, it's not only limited to the prison itself uh, because uh, the partnership has extended and has grown with time uh, to an extent now that uh, justice defenders will, can partner up with, um, with even the courts to be able to facilitate uh, this fair trial to take place and mm -hmm. to be able to give a chance uh, to, uh, to this person or to the victims to have uh, an equality of arms because uh, our, our, our justice system uh, uh, is adversarial. Uh, the judge would just sit and uh, make notes from the mm -hmm. complainant and uh, for, or rather from the prosecution and from the accused person. And they are there in the middle to make a determination. So they are seen as uh, you know, non-partisan. And therefore, when we elevate uh, this inmate, when you elevate this accused person 
to an extent that they can be able to represent themselves. Even the court appreciates because the court is not there to uh, to, to victimize this accused person. Is the court is there to ensure that whatever verdict they they give is fair, just, and reasonable. Mm. And therefore, when you 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 give uh, this person uh, or you you elevate them to that extent, the court appreciates so much. And I can say for a fact that this partnership is being appreciated by the courts uh, to an extent that uh, we have there's our court systems uh, have uh, what we call um, court users committees, uh, which is a committee that uh, has uh, all the stakeholders that use the courts and uh, justice defenders. Justice defenders then has become part of uh, the stakeholders. We, we, we can sit in those committees and we can be able to uh, uh, give uh, our feeling about how these accused persons uh, need to be, uh, you know, to be, uh, to be treated and to, be take, to, to ensure that these people get uh, fair trials. Okay. And it's it's something that is very whole and comprehensive, uh, uh, very holistic, as as you have said. In uh, uh, three countries so far. Okay. Uh, we are in Uganda, we are in Kenya, and we are in the Gambia, and uh, probably very soon we will will be spreading our our wings. Very good. Justice Defenders started as African Prisons Project uh, back in 2007. And uh, it started by our founder, Mr. Alexander McLean, visiting uh, a hospital in Uganda and finding an inmate who was homeless, uh, who didn't have parents, and he was in his dying uh, moments. He was at the end of his dying moments. He didn't have anyone to take care of him. And this gave him the passion to be able to work in prisons and to be able to assist prisons. And that was in Uganda. And uh, with time, uh, he started now the organization and went into prison. And in as much as he saw there was need for health uh, uh, facilities, uh, he also saw the need of empowering, uh, uh, you know, the prison community. He saw the gap within the justice system mm -hmm. and empowering the community to be able to, uh, the, inmate, the, uh, the, the prison community to be able to uh, defend themselves. And therefore, uh, the, the, the law program started uh, uh, within the prison system the legal education, the legal practice, the programs have grown uh, since that time to a point now that we are able to serve so many clients uh, or so many inmates and to be able to, uh, to equip them with the skills. Uh, we are actually having around um, uh, uh, 43 graduates so far uh, who have graduated with the university of London degree uh, as at now, yes. Wow, that's amazing. 
absolutely wonderful. And when you say when you yeah, finished your studies, do you have to take a the in, the individual exams? Um, is there a bar exam like in the U.S. law schools? We have to take a bar exam to become a lawyer. Did you have to take any exam like that? Well, uh, we 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 are in the process. Uh, we first did our degree, uh, but we. At, at that point, we were limited by the fact we could not sit for the bar exams okay. uh, because we were limited by the fact that we were in prison at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in our system, uh, well, you, you do the degree and then you go to law school where you do your bar exams. Okay. So there are two separate systems there. Eh? Okay. Uh, you go get a degree from, say, one university, and then there's the regulatory uh, board that uh, uh, the regulatory that uh, board that uh, gives uh, the bar. So that's where you go and do your your your, your bar exam, okay. and um, the board uh, or the school of law could not probably facilitate us while we were in prison. So that now becomes uh, a step one can take once uh, they're out of prison. I still have that dream, personally. Okay, okay. So that's the next step for you. Um, Oh, yes. In the interim, you're working as a paralegal with Justice Defenders? Yes, yes, yes. I'm working as a paralegal, yes, uh, with Justice Defenders. And uh, it's a really nice experience. So I was wondering if you could talk to us about... um, on some of the cases that you have handled. Uh, I think there was one that you just recently won a petition regarding uh, inmates with physical disabilities or mental disorders. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. uh, This was a great uh, ruling and it just shows how uh, people who are less, who are who are least powerful within a society, once they are empowered, can be able to make a change in the reform within the society. Uh, before I got my degree, and before we got our degrees, before we got this legal uh, education, there was this injustice on people with uh, mental disability to an extent that you find the laws that uh, committed them to detention dated back to the colonial times when they could not, uh, to, to the colonial times. And these laws are the same today. They are the laws that are running and therefore it occasioned a lot, uh, a lot of injustices, especially on people with disability. Uh, these people are, are being detained under what we call the presidential pleasure. If you go, it, it had been borrowed from, uh, from, from the UK where such people with disability were detained under the king's or the queen's pleasure. And you can imagine the UK did away with that system a very long time ago, and our system has still held on it. So it it, it raised a need for us to be able to bring that change. 
for us to be able to uh, look at these people and see how we could uh, help them. I can tell you for a fact, Kerry, if you look at these people who are being detained in prisons, you'll wonder whether we are still children of the same God. <laughs> because these people cannot be able to understand anything. And it's, they are being detained in prisons, not because of the wrong choices they made, like Isaac did when they went to prison. It's just because they are disabled. It's just because they cannot be able, uh, or maybe it's, it's, it's in nature that these people uh, acted in a way that uh, offended the law. So it's not a matter of choice. And that's why um, putting these people under that presidential pleasure, which means for an indefinite period of time, then becomes a very uh, unfair way of treating people with mental disability. Yeah. They are human too. No, actually what happened is uh, our court system our court system have uh, what we call a constitutional division mm -hmm. at the high court. And uh, the court allows us and the constitution allows us to identify where there has been a fundamental breach of the fundamental rights, a breach of the fundamental rights under the Bill of Rights. And one of these rights is a right to be treated in a human and degrading man, or rather a right not to be treated in an inhuman and degrading man. Mm -hmm. And therefore we wrote this petition, we prepared this petition and, um, and filed it. And we were able to go down to these people to interview them. Uh, some of them could not recall uh, you know, their, their case details. Uh, and we had to partner up with the prisons to be able now to uh, get the, the necessary details. We compiled the whole case. Uh, we compiled our petition. And we raised, um, we raised uh, a, a few, uh, we raised uh, our grounds on which we believed there was a, a breach of their fundamental rights. One of them is being detained indefinitely. Mm -hmm. uh, which causes uh, the inhuman and degrading treatment. Uh, secondly, uh, charged on their rights to a fair trial because a trial begins at the point of arrest and ends at the point um, where an appeal has been exhausted and a sentence has been affirmed. So when you don't, when, when you sentence a person to an indefinite period of time, you deny them their right to a fair trial. And thirdly, we raised an issue in regards to uh, treatment of people with disability. Our constitution is very uh, express that people with disabilities, any kind of disabilities should not be treated in an inhuman and degrading manner. And therefore, our argument was putting these people in a prison facility, detaining them in a prison facility on the basis of their disability. Mm. 
was unconstitutional. And that's the point, those are the points that we took to court and based our petition on, yes. And did the court rule on that? Oh yes, uh, the court ruled on the same. Uh, uh, we got to a, to a hearing after preparing uh, 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 you know, uh, the petition, uh, we got a hearing date and uh, we partner, uh, we also looked for other partners. We, we were with, uh, with a constitutional uh, government body uh, called the Kenya National Human Rights Commission. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a constitutional body, which was uh, in support of our cause. And um, we made our submissions. We were able to do our research uh, extensively, looking at other jurisdictions and how they have dealt with people with uh, mental disabilities. Uh, we were able maybe to look at uh, the UK and how it moved from the Queen's pleasure or the yeah or Her Majesty's pleasure into a system where uh, uh, the power was given to the courts, okay. and the courts are the ones to determine when this person ought to be released, rather than uh, uh, the, the, the executive, uh, because there's a balance, there should be that uh, balance of the separation of powers uh, that, that, uh, that the, the court will determine the length of a person's sentence or detention. So yeah, where, and, is it uh, in, where is it in the process? Has it been changed from at the president's uh, leisure to to the court system, or is it still in the is is it still going within the legal system, or has a decision been made? Well, the decision has already been made. The decision has already been made, and uh, uh, the court gave. Uh, uh, the, the, the government and the attorney general and the parliament uh, a period uh, through which they should be able to have amended uh, these laws. I believe uh, it's in the process and uh, it shows that, you know, we can be able to change things yeah. even from the most unexpected places. Yeah. yeah, you can imagine it's all these ideas uh, came out of uh, prison. And it, it, it shows that when you give that power, that the power of the law, when you give it to that least person in the society, that person who, has, who does not have power, then that person will definitely reform yeah. and bring change within the system. How do you handle or manage people with physical or mental disabilities? I'll, I'll, I'll give two approaches on, on how to deal with these people. Uh, number one approach, uh, I read from, uh, uh, actually, as I was doing my research, uh, is one that uh, came from uh, a US, a United States Supreme Court decision. Uh, the decision was in O'Connor versus Donaldson. Uh, and it 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 gave uh, it gave uh, there there were several factors that were to considered when uh, before you 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 detain such a person. 
And it gave a very um, clear approach, or maybe it gave a, a, a clear approach of how you should deal with a person mm. who has a, a mental disability. And one thing that came out is that mental disability alone should not be a basis of detaining this person in prison. And secondly, what came out of that ruling was that um, if a person can be able, if a person number one is not dangerous to the society and can be able to live by himself or with the help of, a, or of, 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 the, of the family, then this person should not be committed to detention, okay? So that was a decision that was very, very elaborate on how uh, and gave us ideas on how uh, a person with mental disability should be dealt with. Because you find, uh, you'll find that, uh, yes, this person did an offense. They did not have the culpability, the criminal mm. culpability to be found guilty because well, to be found guilty, you have to have uh, the, 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 the conduct part of it, the actors reas and the mens rea. Yeah. So it means they did not have the mens rea because they don't have that mental culpability of committing or the intention of committing that offense. And therefore this person uh, looking at, at, at the face of, of it, this person is not guilty would not be charged uh, or would not be convicted as a guilty person. And therefore the only way to, to be able to deal with this person is to take them through a process uh, that is only fair and take into account that this person has a disability. And therefore, if this person can be deemed not to be dangerous, then they can be able to live uh, outside the prison uh, facility. The other, the, 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 other, the other approach that, uh, uh, that I looked into was uh, an approach uh, from the UK system where it moved from the Her Majesty's pleasure to a court system. And the reasoning was that uh, a court will have the, the best place, will be in the best place to be able to dispense with this person. A court can be able to order for uh, an expert uh, report, to be able to, uh, for a medical report, to be able to determine that this person can now be able to live within a society, rather than leaving this to the president's pleasure. And um, we were asking ourselves, <laughs> when will, will the president be pleased yeah, to, yeah. to feel, uh, I'm so pleased, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. So it's 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 uh it's it's something that uh, uh, the court agreed with us that uh, uh, it 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 is unconstitutional for uh, a, a person to be detained under president under the president's pleasure yeah. and gave an order that this person can only be detained under the order of the court and the court shall have uh, a way to review this person's status uh, from time to time to avoid them being uh, in, in, in detention for, for an indefinite period. So as the result of the petition that you worked on, 
it is now being considered by your the legislative authority in your country to rewrite the laws on this. The court has given a timeline of one year for okay. them to report on the on the status. Nice. When you're looking to see whether or not you made a positive impact, you've already seen an impact. It has made an impact. It has made an impact because uh, uh, in as much as the law will be reformed, there are those persons who uh, were detained for as long as 25 mm -hmm. years. Uh, now they'll have a way to go back to court. Uh, the court ordered that the courts that committed them to detention mm -hmm. should, uh, should, 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 should uh, hear uh, their cases again, should assess their circumstances, should order for medical reports, and uh, should determine whether this person, yes. these people should live in prison or should be detained further or they should be released. I'm glad you added that because it's not just the law in the words of the laws being rewritten or being reconsidered. It's the effect on the lives of actual people. And now you are currently working with a women's prison. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there? Yes, uh, it's a really interesting uh, experience. Uh, uh, I'm working actually in a, in, a, in a main prison that holds men and also oh. working in a prison that holds women. Okay. And uh, working in a prison that holds women uh, gives me a whole new experience <laughs> because, <laughs> because um, women uh, are considered uh, uh, the fabric of our society. Mm. They are considered very important people within a society. Without a, a, a woman within that society, uh, their children, the children will not get the necessary love because a woman is meant to love and to bring together, to hold a family together. And, and therefore, uh, working in a, in, a, in, a, in a prison that deals with women uh, has given me a whole new experience because you find there was this woman who committed an offense and this woman had a young child and they had to bring their child in prison. So you, you see, wow. the child uh, is, is, is suffering uh, consequences of, of the mother and they may be uh, naive, they may not understand what's happening, yeah. but uh, it, yeah. it, it's important also to understand that that impact will have a, that 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 picture will have an impact on this child for the rest of their lives mm. and therefore and again you find that most of these offenses that uh, commit women in prison are offenses that uh, are offenses that i would call them uh, petty they're not so serious offenses uh, I recently came across uh, a woman who uh, is who has been charged uh, with uh, uh, with uh, selling counterfeit goods. And if you look at the reasons behind her selling these goods, is nothing else but poverty and trying to 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 sustain themselves. Yeah. Okay, and. They are just trying to sustain a family. 
and when you find this person in prison uh, and they cannot be able to raise a, a cash bill of as low as $20, then it becomes, uh, it becomes very touchy. Is there a way that the system or society can work to help people who are committing crimes because they're looking for ways to make money? How can we help those people make money or opportunities to earn a living without resorting to crime? It is important to look at the circumstances, for example, of this woman. This woman has kids who are depending, has children who are depending on her. And therefore, sometimes you find they get very exorbitant uh, cash bill terms, eh? very high cash bill terms, terms they cannot afford. Uh, however, we are still able to advise them on how to get their uh, bail terms and bond terms reduced. And th these, these are issues that we need to look at when yeah. we are dealing mostly with, uh, you know, with, with women. Uh, probably the other, the, other, the other offense that is so prevalent uh, in, in women prison, you'll find is an offense called child neglect. And uh, this strikes a very hot debate when you, when you put a woman in prison for child neglect. The next question you'll be asking, and where is the father? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you'll find, yeah, you'll find, you'll find, you'll find uh, this, is a, this is a single woman. And obviously the fact that she's, her marital status is single, does not mean that this child does not have a father. Then it strikes a debate on why women should yeah. be uh, discriminated on this basis. Again, take away this woman from the society, yeah, or take away this, take, take this woman into prison. Will it give a solution? Mm. It will definitely not give a solution. So when we come to such offenses that relate to women, there are better approaches to deal with them. There are better approaches. They could be given custodial sentences and uh, they could be committed to uh, a, a sentence that they could be able to, uh, that some observation could be made to them yeah. on how they are taking care of their children rather than committing them to, uh, to, to, to prisons. Is there anything else about your prison experience that you would like people who have never been in prison to understand? It is important. It is important for 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 young people to understand that crime will not always give a solution to anything to or for them to be able to make it in life. Number two, I would also look at people who may think that someone who goes to prison cannot be, make a difference mm. because you find so many people come out of prison reformed so many people are in prison and are in prison and yet they can still make a difference in prison so one thing that i understand is that it does not matter where you are you can still make a difference you can still make a difference and as a, as, as as i always say that if we can be able to make a difference while you're in prison, if we can be able, 
if I could be able to get a degree while in prison, then there's nothing that I cannot achieve in life. There's nothing. Yes. So it is important to keep hope alive. Yes, it's important to keep hope alive uh, and also to uh, ensure that we develop uh, uh, we, we develop each other. We develop each other just as justice defenders is doing. Uh, to develop uh, the community through uh, providing legal education to inmates and prison wardens, providing uh, 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 legal representation to inmates. It's 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 something that should be should be should be done and should be emulated. And if we can get even support to be able to do more work on this, then it would be important to grow us as justice defenders. The integrative law movement or integrative lawyers celebrates a way of looking at the law as a means of honors our interconnectedness as humans, the interconnectedness of systems and practicing law in a way that honors that interconnectedness, but also honors authenticity, generosity of spirit, generosity of our help, and integrity. You are an integrative lawyer. What does being an integrative lawyer mean to you? Well, uh, it, it, currently it means, uh, it means everything to me and to my life, because as I started my life, uh, my legal career uh, back then, if I went to prison, I looked at the legal career as a way of making money or making this big shot lawyer. Mm -hmm. But along the way, when I studied my law degree while in prison, it made me look at the legal profession from a different perspective, a perspective of being a servant, a perspective of uh, employing the integrative uh, legal way of dealing with, uh, you know, our clients and becoming an integrative lawyer, so to say. <laughs> uh, because you find to be able to help a person with, for, for example, a mental disability, you will have to go to their level. You will have, first of all, to keep your legal skills away and wear the human, the human cloth and be able to understand them, empathize with them and think, uh, you know, think about them to be able to help them and to relate with them and to see what if this would have been my brother or my sister? Would I be uh, pleased uh, to find them in such a circumstance. So it, it's it, it's something that has made me become uh, the integrative lawyer. Yeah. And when it comes to integration within justice defenders, uh, we always say that we are a community of unlikely allies that comprises of uh, the courts, that comprises of the prison system that comprises of the community that comprises of 
the people who are accused of committing these offenses. So we a holistic, uh, integrated community that uh, that fights for justice, and therefore it makes us justice defenders also mm -hmm. part of the the integrative legal system. <laughs> We see it in the biggest approach as you are contributing to the healing of the world. It was so nice meeting you today. Thank you so much for being part of Integrative Lawyers of the World. Thank you, Kerry. I appreciate so much.